there are two short passages I wanted to read, have us have in mind uh, for the lesson. And the first one is in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The second reading comes from Second Peter chapter 1. And I want to begin reading in verse 16. Second Peter 1 and verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I live, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture comes came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. And now, if you will, please turn to the book of Second Kings. Second Kings. Harry Chapin was a folk singer, a pop singer, a rock singer. Um, he was popular in the 70s. He died in 1981 in a fiery car crash in New York City. And he may be best known for a song that he wrote called Cats in the Cradle. I thought about asking Lonnie and Stuart to sing it tonight, but I didn't give them any warning, so I guess they won't do that. But at the beginning of this song, there is a boy who idolizes his father. He wants to be with his dad more than anything else in the world. But dad always has more work to do. He has another meeting to attend. He has another business trip. But his promise is always, we'll get together soon, son. We'll have a good time then. And the son's answer is always, I want to be just like you, Dad. I want to be just like you. Well, the years go by and the boy grows up and the roles are reversed. Now the dad wants time with his son more than anything else in the world. But the son has a job now. And he has a wife and children of his own. And for him, there is always another business to do, more work to do, another meeting, another business trip. He wants to spend time with his dad, but he has to promise, we'll get together soon, dad. We'll have a great time then. And the song ends on a very sad note, as the dad says, my, group, my boy grew up just like me. Sometimes sons and daughters do grow up to be like mom and dad. 
And that can be a good thing or a bad thing, can't it? Have you ever looked in the mirror and been surprised to see your mom or dad looking back at you? Have you ever said something and heard their voice instead of your own? Is there something that you promised yourself solemnly that when you had kids you would never do as your parents did to you and then found yourself doing exactly the same thing? I don't know why it is, but nothing in life is ever easy, is it? Tonight I want us to look at a father and son who did not turn out alike at all. In fact, they were about as opposite as a father and son could possibly be. When it came to one of the most important things in life, their relationship with God and His Word. As we listen to their story, we find ourselves challenged, challenged to think about our relationship with God and our relationship with His Word. The story of the father is found in 2 Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23. Would you turn there, please? 2 Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23. The father in our account is Josiah. He's king of Judah. He's a descendant of David's. And in Judah's history, it is five minutes till midnight. It is 11.55 on December 31st. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are on the rise building a great empire. They will sweep aside the Assyrians. They will conquer the Egyptians. They will even take the little kingdom of Judah in the process. But there's much more to Babylon's rise to empire than simply their military ability or the times in which they were living. Living. You see, Babylon is the rod, the whip in God's hand. And through them, God will pour out his wrath and his anger with his people because they've sinned and because they've broken covenant with him. God has come to a place in which he has done with their rebellion. He's done with their idolatry. And in keeping with the covenant, he is about to bring down the final curtain. But just before he does, an eight-year-old, comes to the throne of David, an eight-year-old named Josiah. We find God's judgment of Josiah and his reign in 2 Kings 22 and verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, Josiah is a true son of David. At the age of 26, 18 years into his reign, he brings significant changes to Judah. Josiah leads a revival in Judah. There is a restoration movement led by the king in Judah, a restoration of God's ways. Among the works being done is the repair and the renovation of the temple. Josiah has a secretary named Shapin, and one day in the 18th year of his reign, Josiah sends Shapin to the temple to make sure that the workers and the contractors are properly paid. The secretary obeys the king. He goes to the temple. And at the temple, he meets with the high priest. And he learns that everything is in order. The workers have been paid. The contractors have been paid. But before he leaves, the high priest tells him in chapter 22 and verse 8, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. 
Now, stop and think about that for a moment. Think about what's being said. Isn't that an amazing statement? How did the book of the law get lost? And how did it get lost in the temple that people would not know where it was, that the high priest would not know where it was? What kind of spiritual neglect or indifference allowed something like that to happen? Well, Shapin takes the scroll, takes the book of the law, and he reads it. And he immediately recognizes the significance of this discovery. He quickly goes to Josiah and reports to him, verse 9 and 10. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Halkiah has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. The book of the law has been missing. God's word, God's instruction, God's law has been lost. His people are not living under his law. His people are not obeying his law. And when Josiah hears the word of the law, what does he do? How does he react? Does he appoint a committee to study it? Does he call a press conference? Does he tell Shapin to find a shelf and hide it? No, he does none of those things. Verse 11 tells us that he tore his clothes. The newly found word of God broke his heart. And tearing his clothes was a way of expressing his grief. And not only his grief and sorrow, but also his repentance. Josiah wants a prophet to verify that this is indeed the word of God. But he already recognizes the implications of what the law says. Notice verse 13. Go and inquire the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Well, the word is taken to the prophetess and she answers the king. Verse 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and this people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am bringing to this place. And so they took her answer to the king. Now, Josiah is king. And he knew that his personal response to the Lord and to the law was not enough. He knows he has a responsibility to lead the people back to God. So first, he gathers the people to the temple. 
chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. There's a reading of the law, and king and people commit themselves to the covenant once again. They renew the covenant. Then Josiah applied the law. He began to teach it and to enforce it. His first action was to cleanse the temple. Everything used in the temple to worship idols was taken out and destroyed. He goes on, and he doesn't stop until Jerusalem and Judah and Samaria are clean once again. Everything idolatrous, everything pagan is destroyed and desecrated. 2 Kings 23, verse 4 through 20. Finally, Josiah leads the people in the observance of Passover. Chapter 23, verse 21 to 23. God's word called for such obedience and faithfulness. It demanded repentance and actions that showed repentance. And there is a final judgment on King Josiah in 2 Kings. It's found in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 23. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and the spiritists, the household gods, the gods of all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. And Josiah wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't a perfect king. But consider how he responded to God's word. The king didn't consider that the demands were socially unacceptable. He didn't, he wasn't concerned whether they were convenient. He heard God's voice thunder from Sinai in the words of the scroll. And hearing God's voice, he was moved to faith and obedience. He was moved to lead the people back to obedience and to faithfulness to the covenant. And I especially appreciate the line that says that he gave to God his heart, his soul, and his strength. And he did so in accordance with not just part of the law of Moses, but all of the law of Moses. Well, there is a tragic ending to Josiah's story. And the tragic ending is that Josiah did not pass his love for the Lord, his obedience to his word, onto his son. His son did not learn these lessons. The son's story is also found in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 36. So if you will, please turn to Jeremiah 36. <clears throat> King Josiah dies in battle. He dies at the hand of an Egyptian pharaoh named Necho. His first son, Jehoahaz, rules in his place. The second Kings 23 and verse 32 says that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He too had not learned the lessons of his father. His reign only lasted three months and he was replaced by Josiah's son, Jehoiakim, who became king in his place. And he is the son in our story. At this time, Jeremiah is God's prophet. He is throughout all of these events. And God speaks to his prophet and he gives him these instructions in chapter 36, beginning in verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time that I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from his wicked way. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. Last chance. Now it's one minute to midnight. Time is almost up. It is the last hope. God keeps holding out the hope that maybe they will hear my word. Maybe if they know all the things I plan to do to them, they will repent. So Jeremiah does as the Lord commands him. He has a a servant named Baruch, and Baruch writes down every word that Jeremiah had preached every word that God had given Jeremiah. When the scroll is finished, his servant is sent to the temple with it, verse 8. And on a day of fasting, when everyone was in Jerusalem, verse 9 and 10, Baruch stands up in the temple and he reads the scroll to the people. We aren't told here in Jeremiah 36 how the people reacted to the reading of God's word through his prophet Jeremiah. But if you look at verse 11 through 15, you'll see that the leading officials, some who had been supporters of Josiah, heard the reading. They heard the message. And more than that, they wanted to hear it again. Their reaction is recorded in Scripture. Look at verse 16 through 19. When they heard all these words, they looked to each other in fear and said to Baruch, we must report all of these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? Yes, Baruch replied, he dictated all these words to me and I wrote them down in ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah go and hide and don't let anyone know where you are. Words from God like this can't be ignored. So they put the scroll away for safekeeping and they go to the king. And if you follow this account in Jeremiah or Second Kings, what you find is that the king, Jehoiakim, is no friend of Jeremiah's. Everything is reported to Jehoiakim and the king wants the scroll. So he sends a servant to get the scroll. And so the question comes, will he hear the word of God written on the scroll and react as his father did when he heard the words of the scroll in the reading of the law? Will Jehoiakim tear his clothes as a sign of mourning and grief and repentance like his father? Will he lead the nation in repentance like his father? Will he bring them back to God as Josiah had? And the sad answer is that no, he'll, he won't do any of those things. And what he does is almost too terrible to imagine. Look at verse 21 to 23. The king sent Yehudi to get the scroll, and Yehudi brought it to the room from Elisham of the secretary and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with the fire burning and the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Yehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned with fire. 
Can you imagine cutting up God's word and burning it? Go ahead, take your Bible, tear out a few pages. Anybody got a match? Oh no. We would not do that. We would never do that. But this king does that. Look at verse 24. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. I don't know what's worse, that they cut and burned the Bible or they didn't care about it. They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid of God. They weren't afraid of what God would do. There are people there who protest and try to stop it, but he ignores them. And instead he orders the prophet and his his servant to be arrested and imprisoned. Well, do you think God overlooked that? Do you think God ignored what it ha- what happened? How did God react? What did God think of the king? Our account concludes with this in verse 27. After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Also tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut off both men and animals from it? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. Jehoiakim rejected God's word. He rejected God's purpose. He rejected God's final offer to spare his people, the sorrow and the suffering of exile. And the king and Judah lost everything. Everything as a result. And the line of David is cut off. There is never again a descendant of David on the throne. So when we hear people talking about uh, Jesus is going to reign on earth from David's throne, the Bible says it isn't going to happen. That's that's another sermon. Josiah and Jehoiakim, father and son. Father and son, yet so very different from one another. One embraces God's word and submitted to it with his whole heart. One rejected that word and refused to obey it with his whole heart. One was a humble man. The other was arrogant beyond measure. The father's life pleased God while the son's only intensified his wrath. Week after week, day after day, you and I sit before God's word. In every book, in every chapter, every verse, every word, God's voice speaks to us, revealing his will for us. God's word tells us the story of salvation. It calls us to obedience and it shows us how to obey. It is a lamp to guide our steps, a light for our feet. It is a transforming word. It is a word of great promise, a word of great hope. 
And it is a word of great, great danger if we choose to ignore it. So the question that we always face every time we open it is the one faced by Josiah and Jehoiakim. What are we going to do with it? How will we respond to it? Will we receive it? Or will we reject it? Now, if we become Christians, we have already said yes to it. And we have put ourselves under its authority. But every day we come to situations in which we have to make a decision. Are we going to do God's will? Are we going to do our own will? Are we going to obey God's word? Are we going to follow our own word? We have to decide. Will I be like Josiah or will I be like Jehoiakim? We have to decide whether we will say yes to God or whether we will say no to him. Whether we will submit to him or whether we will reject him. After Jesus finished the sermon on the bread of life in John 6, many of his disciples stopped following him. He told them that in order to be in fellowship with him, they had to eat his body and drink his blood, and they couldn't take that. So they stopped following him altogether. When they left, Jesus asked the twelve if they too would go away. And Peter stands up and answers for the other twelve. In John chapter 6, and verse 68, and Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have words of eternal life. May our hearts always be like Josiah's and Peter's and never like Jehoiakim's. May we hunger and thirst for God's word and the life that it offers us. May we strive with God's grace to live under it. What a part marvelous story. What a terrible story but one that teaches us about living before God. We'll finish now with our song of encouragement. Someone's here tonight and need a prayer. We count it a great privilege to pray with you. If you'll come, always stand and sing.